0: Welcome to another episode of Newport Beach in the Rearview Mirror. I'm Bill Lobdell. Before we begin, this episode was rated a hard PG-13. In other words, listeners beware. On the morning of May 23rd, 1896, a 38-year-old man named Fisherman Pete was found dead on the floor of his 10x12 shanty, which was located about 100 yards south of McFadden's Wharf, which is now the Newport Pier. It was Newport Beach's first murder, and it was also the grisliest homicide ever in Newport Beach, and maybe of all of Orange County. What's even more remarkable, to me at least, this historic crime had been lost to history. Until, of course, now. The story was knitted together by reading, by reading news accounts from 1896, from newspapers like the LA Times, Los Angeles Herald, and San Bernardino's Sun. So here are 10 things you need to know about Newport's first murder. Number one. Newport Beach in 1896 didn't seem like a likely setting for a murder. It was a tiny fishing village that had less than 100 permanent residents who, of course, all knew each other. Most lived in one-bedroom cabins on the beach within an easy walking distance from McFadden Wharf. It was a great place to be a fisherman. The waters off of Newport produced some of the best fishing on the West Coast. To give you an example, in a single day, a fisherman could haul in 2,500 pounds of fish, mostly halibut, yellowtail, and smelt. And one newspaper from those days reported that a Newport Beach fisherman landed five thousand pounds of fish in a single day. And if you weren't a fisherman in Newport, chances were you worked as a laborer for the Newport Wharf and Lumber Company, loading and unloading lumber, hides, produce, and other merchandise from the ships docked at the wharf and the trains at the railroad Terminus on the wharf. The second thing to know about the murder. Well, we are called to help our friends in need. You can't count on me like one, two, three, I'll be there. And I know when I need it, I can count By all accounts, on the victim, you, Pete Julian Guion, four, three, or Fisherman two, Pete as he was known, was a popular figure in the village. In his eight months since arriving from San Pedro, he made many loyal friends among the residents. Even the Orange County Sheriff, Joe Nichols, who was stationed 11 miles up the road in Santa Ana, got to know and like Fisherman Pete. As one neighbor described him, he didn't have an enemy in the world. Third thing to know. Follow my lead well, I found a girl Beautiful and sweet well, I never knew you were the someone waiting for me Fisherman Pete had a special admirer in Jesse Saray, described in one newspaper article as, quote, a buxom Mexican maiden. Pete, who was a widower with three grown kids, began courting Jesse with the blessing of her immigrant father, who also happened to be one of Pete's best friends. Which says something about Pete and his character and, and how much people loved and respected him. A marriage between Jesse and Pete wasn't far off. Fourth thing to know about the murder. Jesse had what only could be described as a stalker in Antonio Saccoscio, a hot headed Italian laborer who likely worked for the Newport Wharf and Lumber Company. As his obsession with Jesse grew, so did his hatred for Fisherman Pete. He told several people in the village that he had planned to harm Pete if the courtship continued. A fisherman named E.W. Powers recounted that just a week before the murder, Antonio said he wanted to marry Jesse, that he was great husband material because he had a good house, and if Pete didn't leave the girl alone, he would, quote, fix him pretty bad. But Antonio must have been Kind of a blowhard because no one took his threat seriously, including Pete and Jesse. But as one villager would say later after the murder, it now appears that Antonio was terribly in earnest. Fifth thing to know. I don't care. May 22nd, 1896, the Friday evening started off routinely enough. Under almost a full moon, Pete walked the 30 yards from his house to the cabin of his friend, Joe Saray, for a night of cards and drinking, blowing off steam after a long week on the ocean. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary, even when Antonio stopped by for a visit at 10 p.m., about the same time that Jesse showed up at the house as well. This shows just how gracious and trusting, Joe Saray and Fisherman Pete were. They allowed this guy who's making threats all over the village about Pete to come in and have drinks with them. An hour after Jesse and Antonio's arrival, a very drunk, as the newspapers called him, highly intoxicated Pete decided to call it a night. But before he left, he invited Joe to come to his place in the morning for. More drinking. This, I guess, is how fishermen spent their their weekends. Pete then headed out the door, stumbled home, and fell into bed. Sixth thing to know about the murder. Antonio had become infuriated watching Jesse and Pete talk, laugh, flirt, like the lovebirds that they were. He left... Joe Serre's cabin seething. Antonio swung by his cabin and grabbed its prized straight edge razor that had a black pearl handle and slipped it into a pocket of his overalls. He had some bad intentions at that point. Antonio then walked over to Fisherman Pete's cabin and lurked in the shadows for a few minutes, stewing over Jesse's love for Pete. And the more he thought about what he had witnessed that evening, the more enraged he got. Antonio simply wasn't gonna let Pete marry the woman that should be his. Then Antonio made a decision. I'm gonna kill Pete. He quietly entered his cabin and found the fisherman passed out on the bed. Looking around the room, he spied a hatchet hanging above the bed and grabbed it. By now, Antonio's anger had turned into a blind rage. He brought the hatchet down on Pete But it wasn't a mortal blow. A wounded Pete, body full of adrenaline, fought back and fought back hard. We know this because blood splatters were found everywhere. On the bed, on the wall, stove, floor. But ultimately, Pete was no match for an enraged man with a hatchet. He fell near the doorway, his head crushed, and hatchet wounds on his neck and back. Though fisherman Pete was dead, Antonio wasn't done. He took the straight-edge razor out of his pocket and slit Pete's throat ear to ear. He sliced up his wrists, arms, chest, and he cut off a couple of fingers for good measure. This murder was personal. In all, Pete's body had 40 gashes and cuts. Before Antonio snuck out of Pete's cabin and into the night, he did a a weird thing. He took the time to put the blood-stained hatchet Back on the nail, above Pete's bed. Returning home, Antonio spent the rest of the night trying to get rid of the evidence. Seventh thing to know about the murder. Antonio just wasn't very bright. I was once told by a Newport Beach police detective that his job was often very easy because most of the criminals were really dumb and that was the case with Antonio. When Joe Saray went to Pete's cabin the next morning to continue their drinking fest, he discovered his friend's mutilated body near the threshold of the door. Of course, in the small village, news of the murder spread quickly and a neighbor passing by Antonio's house saw the Italian in the doorway and shouted excitedly, did you hear the news? Pete was murdered last night. Antonio didn't flinch and replied coolly, So? What am I supposed to do about it? Weird reaction, the neighbor thought, and he would later report that exchange to the authorities. The stunned villagers summoned Sheriff Joe Nichols and Coroner Clark, who would have gotten to Newport from Santa Ana via horseback or the Santa Ana and Newport Railroad, which ran for 11 miles down what's now Newport Boulevard. Upon arriving in Newport, the sheriff was told by fishermen that Antonio had threatened Pete several times before. Pointed in the right direction, it took the sheriff less than an hour to gather enough incriminating evidence to put Antonio in handcuffs. Let's go through what the sheriff found and see what a terrible job Antonio did at trying to cover up his crime. First, the clothes Antonio had on were wet and red stains were splashed across his shirt, overall shoes, and even underwear, which, how did that happen? The suspect explained that his clothes were still wet from a washing days ago and not from trying to scrub the evidence away. As for the stains, he said they were red paint and fish blood. Now, I deduce from this that Antonio was pretty poor because he apparently didn't have another set of clothes. I mean, why why not just change into new clothes? Maybe my favorite piece of evidence is that Antonio had a bucket of pink water on the floor of his cabin. When you heard the sheriff was in town, would it take that much to dump the, the bucket out into the sand? There was a lot more evidence. Antonio often bragged about his prized straight-edge razor with the black pearl handle, claiming that it was the best in the country. The sheriff, seeing wounds on Pete that could only be made with a razor, asked Antonio if he could see his but the suspect claimed that he had lost it a week ago, to which the sheriff replied, well, you're clean-shaven now. How did that happen? And the dim-witted Antonio said, well, I I borrowed my neighbor's razor. So quickly the sheriff summoned the the neighbor. Did Antonio borrow your razor? Uh, No, never happened. Later, Antonio's bloody razor, with part of its blade broken off, was found on the floor behind Pete's stove. The sheriff found one more piece of evidence, a bloody bandage hidden in Antonio's cabin. Again, Antonio didn't have the best excuse. He said he had cut his leg a week ago and used the bandage to stop the bleeding. The sheriff wondered if the real reason for the bandage was that Antonio had deep cuts on his right thumb and index finger where he was holding the razor. He listened to all this evidence, the blood, the razor. Antonio was O.J. Simpson a century before O.J. Simpson. The sheriff had seen enough. He hauled Antonio off to the new Santa Ana jail where he was put under extra guard because of rumors of vigilantes, Pete's friends, from Newport and San Pedro, who wanted to kill Antonio. Quote, it was thought by some that Antonio may not need a trial, according to one account. Eighth thing to know. Sheriff Joe Nichols tried hard to rattle Antonio. Day after the arrest, the sheriff took Antonio from his cell and marched the surprise inmate up the block to what was then called the undertaker's office, where he forced the suspect to view the mangled remains of his neighbor. According to eyewitnesses, Antonio didn't flinch at all and just stared at Pete. So, what was the sheriff doing? Was he was he trying to get a confession out of Antonio, or did he simply want Antonio to see, for one last time and in the light of day, what he had done? I will never know. Ninth thing to know. To the courtroom my trial began, where I was by twelve honest men. Just before the jury started out, I saw that little judge come to look about. Two months after the killing, literally all of Newport Beach, if you take a face value of the newspaper accounts, traveled to Santa Ana to watch the murder trial. In a packed courtroom, Fisherman Pete's friends watched the prosecutor walk jurors through the mountain of evidence against Antonio. He also put several people on the witness stand, including Joe and Jesse Saray. Antonio offered little defense. How could he? The trial lasted only a couple of days, and it took the jury only 90 minutes, 30 minutes by some accounts, to deliver a guilty verdict of murder in the first degree. Antonio was sentenced to life in prison, and spared the death penalty, which would have been by hanging, because the entire case was based on circumstantial evidence, which apparently was a disqualifier for the death penalty back in the day. As one news story concluded, the lack of witnesses saved the fellow's neck by a thread. Antonio Sacoccio spent the rest of his days in San Quentin. Tenth and final thing to know about the murder. If you're lost in a phone or you're sinking like a stone, carry on. May your past be the sound of your feet. We you don't know what happened to Jesse Saray after the tragedy. On. She simply disappeared from public view. But personally, I hope she found a nice man, someone like Fisherman Pete, and lived happily ever after. Well, That's a story of Newport Beach's first murder. Thanks for jumping into the podcast time machine with me and traveling back to 1896. We'll see you next time.